Romance Podcast. I'm Alex. I'm Willie. And I'm Nick. Today we've got two special guests with us. I think we'll start with the, the man who, who is the prodigal son who has returned, the Van Damsel himself, <laughs> Tim Long. It's good to be back. Thank you, he's, Alex. He's, he's back in the flesh, not over Skype like that one time. <laughs> then yes. we also have uh, noted thespian and uh, uh, star of the Avengers, Mr. Alexander Goykov. Hi. <laughs> um, so we're going to switch things up a little bit this week uh, we're, we're going to try and find a new identity for the show And I think we're going we're gonna to nix the what we've been watching for this week Because while we do have some things to talk about it's, you know, it, We can always talk about those later But uh, we heard that people, specifically Tim, enjoyed the, uh, the Kickstarter discussion that we had So now we're going to try and pick like a particular news story that we really want to talk about and we can go from there and hopefully it inspires some great discussion but we'll also be reviewing Shane Black's Iron Man 3 which uh, you know first Marvel Cinematic Universe film since the Avengers so we'll get into that later but for now uh, this week we had a video put on YouTube um, we as in the world had a video that was put on YouTube <laughs> It was Danny Boyle, he's doing press for his new movie called Trance, and he was talking about the quote-unquote Pixarification of, of movies, saying that uh, adult, adult films, not porn, but like adult-level films, have kind of gone by the wayside, and, and uh, he's sad about it, and, he, and he's wondering what's going on. So, so I think we can start out with, do you guys agree with him, and... and uh, why do you think that's happening? So, Willie, what, what do you think? Well, he, he specifically compares what, he's, what, the, what he calls adult films to 70s British cinema, which I understand kind of what he's talking... You know, like, the type of movie he's talking about there? Yeah. Um, and I, I would try to explain that type of movie, but I can't. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. Um, so I'm not going to try. Uh, that being said, I think, I think he's right and he's wrong. If he's looking at things from the perspective of that type of film doesn't that specific type of film doesn't exist that much anymore, I would agree that sensibility. I would disagree that everything everything is becoming softer. Um, he makes an argument that violence in movies lately is kind of hollow. It's it doesn't have any real meaning to it. Yeah. It doesn't have any danger. Um, and I, I would agree to a certain extent with that. But I don't think that movies in general are becoming less adult-oriented. Um, he actually says Pixarification, which I find kind of silly, because if you look at Pixar's work in the last, I don't know, ten years, it's become more abundant of... There are more adult themes in Pixar films now than there were. I'm not Back discounting Cars 2, yeah. but look at Toy Story 3. Look at, um, look at Up. Wally. Look at Wally. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I think I get what he. I get understand what he's trying to say here. I don't think he's a hundred percent right about that. Okay. Um, but I, I, I like that he's trying to harken back to a different time because yeah. this is a very cool time for movies. I mean, the seventies were really super, super groundbreaking in almost every genre, if you really think about it. So I, I like that he's trying to harken back to those the golden age. You know yeah. what I mean? Like the, just the just. When, when it was just a bunch of kids getting together trying to shoot something. And, yeah. you know, that's really cool. So, I see what he's trying to say. I can't agree that movies are becoming less adult-focused. But, 
I don't think he meant anything bad by it necessarily. Okay. I don't think we're in danger of losing adult themes in film. Yeah. So, Gojo, what do you think? It's it's an interesting observation. I think probably uh, the term he should have used instead of adult was grown up, because adult has kind of been attached to yeah um, things that are not really adult. They're just mindless violence, you know, mindless, you know, gratuitous stuff, you know, um, quote unquote adult, adult content. Adult, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, I think it's less that it's not there, that it's more more that it's waning. I would say. Okay. Um, these things I think tend to go in cycles. Um, like when films started, they were you know they were a radically new thing, and then it kind of hit a it that the the film medium kind of got mainstreamed in maybe like the the forties fifties with you know all the classic feel-gooder films, and then I think in the 70s, yeah, it hit this point of these, you know, it hit the high, the point of more mature themes taking the film in a different direction than it's ever been. Yeah. Um, and then I think maybe now, what it, it's more like we are, we're back at that point of everything's getting a little more mainstreamed as far as themes and, um, and so on and so forth. Um, I, 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 I don't know if it's necessarily a bad thing. I mean, films at their heart are a product. Um, and, you know, that's Hollywood response to that, I think. Um, yeah. If for the most part, you're seeing more... The the more ad- adult themes you'll see are in... Probably in, like, the, the indie movies, the things that aren't really... Yeah, and he specifically yeah. says, like, all of the, like... Most of the Hollywood writers have moved on to uh, TV. Exactly. Yeah. Are, Which is totally cable, true. Cable yeah. television. I think we can all agree with that. Yeah. yeah. Well, you're, you're definitely seeing more adult, quote-unquote, adult things on TV with things like Mad Men and Brain, AMC, yeah. basically. Adult storytelling. Yeah. 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 I think there's, there's kind of a, maybe a, kind of a gun-shy nature, I think, in Hollywood to release stuff like that in film format because movies have become such a massive... Um, Equation yeah. for money. Yeah, it's yeah, it, it's such a massive investment that it, it's a little risky, you know. Yeah. Um, so, well, I really didn't comment on how I feel about his point. I really just uh, <laughs> took it somewhere else. But okay. uh, it's an interesting point. I don't know if I agree or disagree. Okay. Yeah. All right, Nick. What about you? Um, <clears throat> I think I think for the most part, I I kind of agree. I agree. Well, he kind of he 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 makes his point, and then he kind of starts to explain why. And initially, when he said it, I was kind of like, "Well, no." But then when he explained it, I was like, "Well, yeah." <laughs> I think, and I should say, we'll have I'll I'll link to the video in the show notes. So go to midwestfilmnerds.com if you want to check out the video. But. Or do it anyway. Yeah, um, and podcast. Uh, it, it's interesting to me that he cites the '70s specifically because the '70s is a huge like red flag for because that was like the decade. Where everything changed. Yeah. Because not only did you have more and easier access to film equipment with it becoming smaller and easier to move around and, and shooting on location expanded so much, but the 70s was the first decade where the directors were people who grew up watching movies. Yeah. Before that, it was always these people who had segued from theater into movie making as a new medium, and sometimes, obviously, it was wildly successful, and other times it was it was just kind of a, fell on its face and people didn't know how to make movies, but... The 70s was that first era with the film brats like Scorsese and um, 
Bogdanovich and all those guys who had grown up obsessing with movies and watching them, like Truffaut and them, well, that was like late 60s, but they they were total cinephiles. And so they, I think the reason there were so many adult themes, like Boyle said, was you, you wanted to, he says you used to go to the movies to see that stuff, that those adult themes that you wanted to surround your lives. And these guys were now adults and they had this medium at their disposal that had never been used the way they wanted to use it. And so they used it to tell the stories they wanted to tell. And I think that that's why that decade was so full of it. And he yeah. makes the point about the violence today being so uh, hollow, like like you said. Um, and and back then it had more of a driving point. And it's funny to watch because in the seventies I think it did. It was it largely motivated the story. And then you got the eighties where it was just excess violence. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and which I love. I can't I can't say it's a bad thing because I I just think of like the Rambo's and the Predators and the Terminators and and that stuff, which is like totally the decade of movies that's closest to my heart. Um, but it's just funny that he doesn't really mention the 80s for being so over the top with its violence and I think even then it, it kind of almost served a purpose I know what he's saying for sure with today where there's movies that I think he might specifically not be talking about action violence like we tend to think right away but more like torture porn violence where it yeah. is purely that does not serve the story at all that no. is only there for indulgence and it, it is pointless I would agree with him it's just it, it, doesn't, it doesn't serve the purpose of the story but the the term Pixarification is is I think up for debate because like like he even acknowledges they're they're amazing at storytelling but I think he's using the term Pixar not as a condemnation of them but the fact that it is mass market yeah family friendly exactly. friendly it's it's kind of a synonym for cartoony um, I think so he's, I don't even think Pixar. he's he's criticizing the it's, medium I think he's criticizing the no branding. I mean cartoony in 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 mood in feel like it's not when you're watching like violence and stuff in movies it doesn't feel it doesn't feel real it doesn't feel it, it feels like a movie a cartoon yeah like um, yeah, yeah I think it's kind of both both that and just the the marketability of it the fact that it's a because people see Pixar now and they're like oh I mm-hmm. will see that movie because it's going to be this level of quality or whatever so it's interesting he's almost using it as almost a compliment in a way but I mean obviously his point isn't but yeah. To choose Pixar makes a lot of sense on like a lot of levels. I think. I think uh, I don't think the guy ever has points that aren't valid. I remember specifically having notes for our episode where I talked about side by side. Like I had an exact quote from Danny Boyle because yeah. he always he always uh, makes a very good, clear points that I, 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 I think, usually agree with. I think all anybody from the UK is always so much more eloquent that their points sound so much more well formed, <laughs> but. Yeah, his, whatever he said on Side by Side, I already forgot it, but it was, it was really good. It was, it, was, it was really good. First of all, love it or leave it, Alex. Like, what is this? Turning your back on America. <laughs> disgusting. I know, I like, I hated pain and gain. What am I... There's, I'm I think, pretty sure there's a boat leaving from I think it'd be interesting, right after we're done talking about this, I mean, like, later, to think about some of the more adult-themed movies that we've seen le- recently, because, like Gojo said, the... Uh, Oh, there's a lot of it in like the indie or smaller budget, and I yeah. uh, immediately I thought of Place Beyond the Pines and and Drive. And yeah, not, I ex- of Drive. not explicitly that Ryan Gosling is only doing these like <laughs> type of movies, but um, I thought of Drive, and then I also thought it was interesting that the first movie I thought of is very retro in nature. Yeah, and I'm trying to think of the last like I mean Place Beyond the Pines probably was, but movies that deal with adult themes that are t- in modern day. Seems there's probably a lot of like 70s and 80s throwbacky movies that deal with it, but. Anyway. Okay. Tim. Okay. Yeah. Um, you guys have pretty much covered 
everything, but so I'll go off on a little bit of a tangent. Sorry. But um, I think mainstream movies, what I miss, and I think kind of what he's hinting at is, like, one of the reasons I love the first, the original Star Trek is because they're all adults that yeah. are, like, professionals at their job, and they're good at it. And then, like, the new Star Trek, it's just a bunch of kids running around. Like, <laughs> like it's, I miss... The I like I miss watching like adult characters like grown ups on screen, and I think it's kind of gotten away from that in mainstream movies. Like everybody just kind of feels, I don't know. Well, we're such a prequel heavy. Yeah, that. that's that's weird. That's awesome that you said that because I remember just recently thinking that when Willie and I were having the conversation about the young actors that Hollywood's trying to make into, into stars, mm -hmm. I was thinking all the stars today are guys who are like forty plus. Yeah, and Hollywood is just continuing to make movies with them. Like there's new diehards. There's yeah. new. Terminators is new, and like the next generation of young movie stars, specifically young like action stars, they don't exist. They're still yeah. not around. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna talk about this in another episode, and I still want to come back to it someday. <laughs> but I'm so glad he said that because I kind of disagree, but the same, I see what yeah. you're saying. Well, and even and I see what, but it's been like this for a while, and that's why I kind of like I'm like Danny Boyle. You sound like an old man, just like yelling, <laughs> like get off my lawn at times. Because like that's kind of what he comes off as, and that's kind of why. But I don't disagree with it. Like him. it's a generational thing. Yeah, and it seems like he's just kind of getting old. But it's been like this for a while. Like it really has. <laughs> I mean, I, but even even in the '80s, like someone like Indiana Jones, like off the top of my head, was like he was a grown up. Like, yeah. He had a job, and he was. Like, <laughs> that's true. And, like that's just it's something I, I've been, kind of been noticing re recently. Like the actual characters themselves do not behave. Like yeah. Yeah, you know, they're always they're always learning whatever it is yes. that yeah. the movie is supposed to have them. Yeah, I mean, such like, an interesting point. They're growing yeah. into what, like, yeah, Star Trek. All these characters that you they they're all getting moving into the the roles that we've always known them to play, mm -hmm. but they're never actually they never actually end up playing those roles. Yeah, um, and a lot of the game, a lot of the blockbuster young adult franchises these days are geared towards at minimum young adult and usually younger, like your Harry Potter's, your Hunger Games. All that, and they're they're all young people learning what they're doing, and they're also like the the stuff like like Juno or um, uh, the wall, Wallflower, no. Perks 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. A lot of I'm not saying that they're bad except Juno, but they're they're <laughs> movies that are they're movies that are about people that are lost and like trying to figure out who they are, and those seem to really resonate with young people. But like like Daniel Boyle says, I remember being a kid. I didn't want to watch crap with people my own age yeah. or slightly older. I wanted to watch the Indiana Joneses, the Star yeah. Wars, the people who yeah. had jobs <laughs> and went to them, and they were awesome. Well, I remember, like, Boyle even says, and kind of like you said, I remember, like, wanting to see the R-rated movies. Yeah. Like, those were the ones that were coming out, and those were the ones that did awesome theatrically. Like, I just was watching Terminator 2 on Netflix yesterday, and that, that movie is hard R. And I was like, this movie came out in a theater. Yeah. And it was, I think it's R, isn't it, Terminator 2? Yeah. And it, it's just funny, me watching it, I was like, I remember being a kid, like, wanting to sneak this VHS out of, like, my grandparents' collection. To, you know, watch well, that's, <laughs> that's kind of, I mean, Gojo touched on it a bit, but uh, my real opinion on this is that this is strictly happening because of money. Like, there's yeah. so many movies, like the new Die Hard, or the previous Die Hard to this one, and, like, the movies that they're bringing back are making sequels from Turner the 80s. Salvation. Yeah, it's like, they they're, they fight for this R, but the studio just won't give it to them, because they're like, if we make this PG-13, we're gonna get this percent more in the box office. It's strictly, like, zoning in on the equation of it all, rather than... 
So in that regard, I think he's his point is absolutely right, but it, the way he goes about it is a little bit... He kind of comes at it from almost the wrong side. And I mean, to be fair, I think he was posed this question completely randomly by this person, so he probably didn't have exact time to think about what yeah, His answer's yeah. still amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, he, uh, Danny Boyle would probably have a prepared debate on he this. He probably would. Time, he but... probably would have a sheet of notes. <laughs> yeah. This is the him. new documentary that Keanu should help make. It's like, <laughs> this subject, because you'd get... Like, Pixarification the, by you'd Keanu You'd get Reeves. the Nolans and the, and the Boyles and those guys guys coming out and talking about it. We could also interview like guys like Zack Snyder who tend to make these like violent stylized adult themed movies that are being shoehorned into PG-13 and probably yeah. hurt for it. Like I remember he was saying with Watchmen he's like it has to be R. It has to be yeah. R. Yeah. yeah. Well, Imagine it, what 300 would have been like if it was R. There's a couple of things I want to say real quick. Um, or is it? Maybe two, yes. two points yes. against Mr. Boyle and 1.4 and the thing is that with the TV thing I think uh, Honestly, I think a big part of it is fi filmmakers naturally want to push the envelope mm -hmm. in whatever genre they're in. It doesn't matter if it's comedy, horror, whatever. And I think the, it's hard to push the envelope in film now because it's all been done. Not all, but a lot of it's been done, and it's much easier to push the envelope in TV. People, half the stuff that people find controversial on television shows, like in Girls and stuff, has been done in film plenty yeah. of times yeah. over. I think that's naturally part of why we see people moving to TV, because it's a much more interesting platform. There's... You, different stories to still tell. Fair enough. That don't aren't going to make people go, oh my god, you know. Um, the other thing is, I think the real time to be concerned with this issue, with the Pixarification of films, would have been the 90s. Let's just throw that out <laughs> yeah. there. Action movies were, were so tame in the 90s compared to what we got in the 80s and now. Um, comedies were much tamer in the 90s than what we're getting now. That's that was the I think if anything us surviving the '90s is proof that we're not going it's not going away. Well, and to to Boyle's point, he does state like it started in '77 with Star Wars. So I, sure, I mean it's always been happening, but I think that we're if anything we're seeing a resurgence of adult. Maybe this somewhere. is something that Danny Boyle has been like battling with for years now. <laughs> Maybe um, the only other thing I do want to say, and this is actually more with, along uh, Tim's argument about the characters in films. And maybe that naturally makes films feel less adult because of the way the characters are written. If you look at John Hughes' teen movies, which were made with teens, for teens, by teens, not by teens. Well, John Hughes might as well have been. Let's be honest. He's a great guy, but he was a kid at heart. He, like, Ferris Bueller and Cameron and Sloan don't feel... They feel like teenagers, but they feel real. They feel like teenagers that are making adult decisions. Yeah. That are being forced to make adult decisions. If you watch a lot of the teen comedies now that are along the lines of what Ferris Bueller was trying to do, they feel like stupid kids. Yeah. So perhaps there is something there with the way characters are being written. That's interesting. Now, back to the point about writers moving from movies to television, it, it may be less about um, crossing boundaries, and I think maybe it's just that TV is, a, is now a better place to tell stories because you've got... So much more time. Yeah. Um, you've got where in a movie you have to you have to fit in this complete story into two and a half to three hours, whereas a, a show you can you don't have to tell a complete story each episode. You can tell parts of the story. You can tell di parts of different stories. Drag it all out. You can you can weave a narrative more than more than you can in a movie. It could be like... Well, we see the like length in, of the average movie increasing every year. Yeah. <laughs> and that's just... Yeah. They're trying because to, they're trying yeah. to cram... Because they've got stories they want to cram in there, but it's... It's interesting. There's it's only almost, so much you can watch at one time. It's almost this reversal where it's like TV... For TV, like for years, it was 
let's push all these sitcoms because more people are going to watch them and they're funny and they don't need to be serialized in that yeah. sense so that we can just hop in anywhere and syndication will make us more money and all that crap. And movies was more like, you know, here's this complete story and it's just weird that they're kind of flipping yeah. roles. But. Yeah, the art, the art of writing a concise, well-rounded, A to B, go-home, feeling-satisfied movie is, I think, even it possibly in more danger. It's almost like what he should talk about more. I mean, obviously, he's probably posed the question, but when you look at stuff like the Marvel movies where you can you can make a movie, but it's there's something bigger in the distance that's going to maybe address this plot thread, and you've got these franchises growing and sequels and spinoffs, and you're drawing from novels that are going to have more... Like, to find that movie, like... I'll just go back to Drive again. That's just like, there it is. Yeah is, like, it's getting harder and harder to find those. That's true. And even, and even movies, like, going back to the Terminator thing I was talking about, when Terminator 2 started, I was like, this movie was made nine years after the original, I think. And the original is told in such a way that it, like, that is a movie. Like, the Terminator was made, and that was it. There was mm-hmm. not going to be a Terminator no. 2. Yeah. And they're probably like, hey, we can make a lot of money. We could maybe... And they found a way to sit back and go, like, okay, how can we organically make a sequel to this? Because when I was watching it, I've seen Terminator 1 like a thousand more times than 2, and as I was watching 2, I was like, God, that's cool how they found little little ways to make it seem natural. And now movies are made with the anticipation of, will there be, let's, let's leave it for a sequel. And like, I think, yeah. I think we're going to talk about this. I, I feel it in my heart that we're going to talk about this so much after we talk about The Lone Ranger, if we do that. We're I think we could talk about it a lot with Iron Man 3. Yes and no. I, well, I'm in the sense of uh, we'll get to that. We'll yeah, get to that. I was thinking that too, but yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> this is a conversation that'll probably be on on this podcast more yeah. than once. I think it's an awesome thing to talk about, though, and I want to know what the question was. Yeah, to we'll, me, we'll have to see if they put up like a full interview somewhere. Yeah, or something like I'm really that. curious. All right, I think we'll move on. Um, so the only the other topic that we wanted to talk about before getting into Iron Man, uh, Tim Tim kind of dropped the bomb earlier on Willie and I, <laughs> but. Uh, Recently, we heard from J.J. Abrams that he uh, he plans on having John Williams back to score Star Wars Episode Seven, and uh, oh, boy. and then Tim, <laughs> I'll pass it off to Tim here. When J.J. You... Abrams was announced, the first thing that popped into my head is, "Oh my God, we're gonna get a Michael Giacchino Star Wars score!" Like I was so excited, like I couldn't wait. Like I think his score for Star Trek. Just almost like saves the movie, like it's <laughs> like it's so good. His Speed Racer score, y- you can back me up on that, right? It's <laughs> like oh, yes. is amazing. Well, like Lost soundtrack Lost, is great. Lost is great. I forgot about Lost, but yeah. And then when J.J. Abrams was announced, like that was the thing I was what? most excited for was <laughs> was a score by him. I'm almost the score will probably be great. John Williams is great. I don't have anything against John Williams, but I'm almost kind of bored by the decision, and I wanted something different so we have two there are two huge star wars fans here that most certainly <laughs> celebrated may the 4th Hi. yesterday <laughs> yes that would be gojo and nick for sure and the rest of us are fans of star yeah, wars oh yeah. but i think both of you are on kind of another level so Shit. i guess we'll pass, we'll pass <laughs> he did the john carter score as well that's yeah, what yeah. i was thinking yep. of and it was amazing i was gonna say it but i didn't i didn't want to interrupt anybody but i was just um, desperately i was like what movie did i just watch where i remember being like wow who scored this it's very good um, so Gojo, I think okay. we'll pass to Gojo first. All right. Now, this is this is this is a thing where I f- honestly felt the exact same way when I found out 
that Darth Vader was going to Darth Vader in the suit was going to be in the end of Revenge of the Sith. I thought I kind of hope they don't have James Earl Jones do the voice because this is as far as a strictly story point goes, here is a guy going from you know Hayden Christensen, you know young Anakin Skywalker. Maybe I don't know. In the movie's like what twenty five. Are you about to bring up Kojima's point about needing a new snake actor? No, I could, <laughs> but I won't because this anyway, is movies. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> this is movies. This is movies. Digression. Movies. Digression. Think about his voice. What he throws on the helmet. His voice doesn't change for thirty years. It was. I'm like, okay, I. But then I think about it, and there is no way they cannot put James Earl Jones in that part because people are going to burn down uh, Skywalker Ranch. They're going to Molotov it into... So, yeah, it's... The choice of John Williams, it's a little different because because there there is an aesthetic you have to capture in a Star Wars film, but... There's all you're also I think locking yourself into that choice because you think there's something that you have to do for this franchise, and in that way they're not making it their own. Yeah. Um, and I think if what's the point in doing it then? Well, specifically, how would you have felt if it was like absolutely no John Williams? It's going to be Michael Giacchino. Do you do you as a Star Wars fan? That would hurt. That I. I, it, w- it would hurt, but it would it would be. Ah, you see, yeah, I. It's hard to say without yeah, hearing it. Yeah, it's like John Williams. John Williams' music is Star Wars. And I mean, if you, you change that, there's this instant. There's this instant part of me that's like, no, no, don't change, don't change it. That's blah, 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 blah. <laughs> um, that's exactly the sound that my soul made when I when I would think that. But also. It's, it feel it's like, did you choose John Williams because you actually wanted John Williams? You have something in mind for his sound, or is it because it needs it, to be John it's Star Wars? It has to be because John you don't Williams. want everything to be burned to the ground. Yeah, it's like, are you making this choice from a creative standpoint or from a I want to live to see my next day <laughs> uh, standpoint? I mean, do we? <laughs> Do, do any of us have any sort of doubt that even if it wasn't John Williams, you'd be hearing the Star Wars theme? Like, no, there's, there's, there is no way there's that going, that title scroll would start and you would not hear those horns. There's going to be an opening crawl. There's the star. The Star Wars theme is going to be behind it, no matter what. But and and for that, honestly, to if anybody thinks they were going to take certain important Star Wars musical cues out of it, it, it was never going to happen. No. I mean, I, I think that if, if people would be worried that Giacchino was going to like completely just restart everything from scratch, I, I don't even, I don't think I don't think he could let himself do that as a no. composer. I don't think JJ would let him do that. No, so I, I'm I'm in a weird spot too right now because it's it's. I have to agree with Tim in the fact that I I since we're this is JJ Abrams Star Wars and I feel like it, who he wants for the job should be the man he gets for the job, not just feeling it out of tradition out of. You know what I'm saying? Like I, yeah. I, I, don't feel like that's right to put him in that. And we're never gonna know. Like, no, no, yeah, yeah. Because JJ is never gonna walk out and be like, "Yeah, I didn't really want John Williams." <laughs> well, no, but, uh, Nick, what, what are your thoughts on the matter? I, 
I think I super agree with Tim, actually. Wow. <laughs> this is not the outcome. Just so you guys know, anybody who's listening, Tim just let out a great sigh of relief. Yeah, I know. You guys built it up like I was going to be attacked. No, <laughs> I, 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 got I thought there might be a lie here. <laughs> There's going to be a murder on this podcast today. I love Star Wars. Like, if anyone ever asks me, or whenever people, if people ever talk to me about, like, why I wanted to get into, like, movies as like a as like a field of study and then like sort of a career type choice i um always it always goes back to star wars like that was the the series that i was like how did they do this and i remember watching behind the scenes stuff and be like that's amazing i want to learn more about this how do you do how do i do this and i love star wars like it's part of it's it's inherently part of like my soul like kojo was, was saying like i have so much star wars shit around the apartment and still as a 27 year old man child and it, <laughs> there's a Han Solo action figure across from my bed. It's the first thing I see when I wake up. And, uh, ideally. It reminds you of what you aspire to be. Yeah, exactly. How good life can be. Yes. And when I heard they were making a Star Wars Episode Seven, I was like... Just like sharp inhale of breath. And when they said J.J. James, I went... And exhaled, because I was like, that's a really cool choice. And part of me was like, why? Because he's doing Star Trek. But I was like, I, I admire him as a as a filmmaker and a storyteller. Now, I have been kind of opposed to the idea from the start of having this be a Luke Leia Han story. I I would prefer it not have hardly anything to do with the original st- trilogy. We're disregarding the prequels entirely. Like where this is strictly moving on from the main the main series. The only character I frankly want to <coughs> see is Luke. Like an older Obi-Wan out Luke would be sweet. And I love Han Solo. But I'm not super looking forward to seeing him. But we'll see. Maybe we'll yeah. see some cool production stills. Maybe Harrison will get in some shape. Carrie will get in some shape, and it'll look good. Who knows? Pop um, out some babies. You know. But that, but that, that said, I, I, I'm really more excited by the idea of J.J. being like, I'm going to make my Star Wars movies, and you guys chose me for this job, and you need to trust me to make the Star Wars movies I want to make. And... That said, I think a, a Giacchino score with the John John Williams musical cues, like the the Le, the Han and Leia theme and like the Yoda theme, and yeah. his ghost shows up, and and because uh, that guy is so killer at making little specific themes for every character, like every scenario, like the lighthearted R two three PO banter themes that were always sneaking through there, the Jabba theme, all that type of stuff. He was so good at it. He's no. good at that, even in, like, I, I keep thinking of Harry Potter moments, too. Like yeah, anything. he's so good at that with, yeah. with characters, and, like, he has, like like we always say, every recognizable cinematic theme is probably John Williams, the same way every recognizable cinematic sound is from Ben Burt. Yeah. And... All hail. All hail Ben Burt. All hail Ben Burt. <laughs> and so I think seeing Giacchino take the DNA of what John Williams made... And working it into his own original score would have been amazing. And I'm sure that the John Williams score is going to be really sweet, but it's probably going to be boring, like Tim said. I, I will never buy it and listen to it, because that's not the way John Williams scores are. They're meant to be yeah. listened to while you're watching the, the, the images unfold, which is maybe the way it always should be. That's but, part of what yeah. makes him so great. But okay. as, a big, as a big listener of movie scores, just like when I'm driving around or my day-to-day or running or whatever... I, I, John Williams scores will never make it out of those playlists because they're great, but I want to watch them with what I'm seeing. Yeah. So it could end up being it could end up being really really amazing with just John Williams. But I remember having the exact same reaction when they announced when they were like, "Oh, John Williams is doing the score." I was like, "Really?" So I was like, "Doesn't he want to like just 
retire? Yeah, die? <laughs> he's, like, he's like, what, 90? Like, he's he pumped out. Uh, I mean, while he's still scores, it's, I, yeah. I don't know. I, w- I would be most excited if it was like John Williams and G. Kino working together because yeah. I still That'd maintain be cool. that the Batman Begins soundtrack benefits so much from having two authors for two different moods in the movie. What that a beautiful would, passing of the torch that would be. <clears throat> yeah. You know? If the two of them worked together and then like just Jay Kino took over episodes 8 and 9 if JJ I mean I'm still hoping that JJ only does 7 and then they yeah. have different people that'd be very cool yeah. though I think that'd be it'd, be it'd be cool for Williams to like pass the torch it'd be cool if he was kind of godfathering the soundtrack and yeah. maybe they were writing it together and like Williams got to conduct it and they filmed it and then we all wept now maybe I, I mean Alex looks like he wants to wrap this up yeah. soon but um, <laughs> I, I think for the main for the 7, 8, and 9 um, I think it's a wise choice to go with Williams but I, I do I I would actually kind of hope if they do offshoots like the I mean I don't oh, want them totally. to do offshoots but yeah with offshoots that are not part of the main yeah. saga yeah go with go with that's somebody else go with yeah, a totally a different point. direction yeah. um go for go for something that isn't the traditional Star Wars feel and you'll kind of revitalize Star Wars as as a give me the a property Star Wars soundtrack <laughs> so I was just about to say. <laughs> <laughs> all right um, because the scores for one two and three. There's one theme from that that we remember. Besides there's, the main, besides there's some stuff good music, but original. it's just it's it's not it's not the original. That might be because of the quality of the film itself too. That yeah, tainted the yeah. Williams is like, what do I write to this? <laughs> uh, French horns go. <laughs> Everybody just kind of freestyle, all wave the stick. That's a great yeah. point though with the offshoots. Like, yeah. I'm still waiting for that Zack Snyder Seven Samurai. I'm looking for Jedi to the offshoots more than the Rock. Is that real? <laughs> I want my Woody Allen C three PO movie. Really bad. Like, that's what I want. All right, um, we should move on. I don't think you should have been that scared to bring up that point. Though. Okay. It was. It was probably, probably our, our fault. fault. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Bring up something worse. Okay. Yeah. All right. like, um. So we'll move on to our full review of Iron Man three. A Sarlacc um, standalone film. I don't know. <laughs> uh. Score by Drake. <laughs> <laughs> so, Iron Man 3, directed by Shane Black of uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang fame, which we have previously reviewed. Um, starring I- uh, Iron Man. <laughs> <laughs> Robert Downey Jr., Gwyneth Paltrow, uh, Guy Pierce, Don Cheadle's Badge Dale. Don Cheadle, James Badge Dale of Rubicon fame. William Sadler. Uh, William Bill Sadler. Sadler. Miguel Ferrer. Miguel Ferrer. I know. When yeah. I saw him, I was like, yes, Miguel Ferrer. <laughs> And of course, Sir Ben Kingsley and John Favreau, star stage and screen. Yes. So and John um, Favreau's mullet, his shitty wig, <laughs> shitty wig. So we can. I uh, a lot of us feel that we can't really fully discuss the movie without going into spoilers. So we're going to try and keep it short with some general thoughts, and then we'll move into a more like a longer spoiler segment. So uh, Iron Man three, first post Avengers uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe film. Um, I think I think we'll switch it up a little bit. Maybe maybe go with uh, Gojo. Oh, okay. Your um, your, your general non-spoiler thoughts. All right. Um, Welcome, noob. I, I will say um, that I thought every th- there there are three things that I just I just straight up I just didn't like about the movie, and everything else was was amazing. It was some of the best stuff that Marvel's put out. But one of those things in particular colored my my reaction towards the whole film, and I I'm upset about that, but that's that's how I am, and you can't change me. So we try. Um, but that's, that's spoilers, so... Um, 
that's spoilers. Oh, well, that that's spoilers. This that is, is spoilers. This is movie. Um, I I think the biggest thing I was surprised about from Iron Man three was that it was, it was standalone. It had, I mean, it didn't reference. I mean, it referenced the events of Avengers and the subsequent the the previous films, um, but it didn't. It, it wasn't like the kickoff of some grand phase two uh, plot. It was, and for it, and it was good because of this because it was very focused on developing Tony Stark as a character further. Yeah. Um, and I loved that. I loved that we got a, a great Tony Stark story. Um, it really. It really does kind of make a beautiful arc for Tony through from Iron Man one to Iron Man. It 3. really does, and I now seeing it, get out I'm, of my head. It it it. I'm I'm glad it they went that direction. Then instead of, hey Tony, why don't you go round up the cast of Avengers two yeah. or something like that? Um, I, it's that's my favorite thing about the the Avengers the Marvel movie products is that they um. They're telling individual stories, and then they're rounding them up in the same universe. Yeah. So it, they're not sacrificing each movie for a, a bigger vision. Mm-hmm. There, All right. I'm done. Keep it a little shorter than that, everybody else. Sorry! <laughs> uh, Willie, what did you think about, about Iron Man 3? I thought it was great. I thought it was the best movie of the three. Easily. Okay. Absolutely. And I love that it's a standalone. That It stands on its own feet, unlike Iron Man 2. Yeah. So, the right. best Iron Man movie. Sounds good. Nick? Uh, I think it was the best Marvel movie. It barely edged past Thor for me, but I think it's... As far as quality of storytelling, it annihilates every other one. It's, like, stupid how, how, how good it is. Um, like you said, the, the arc... The arc in it, it's, it's, it's amazing. The movie has its own little arc for the movie, yeah. and it, ha- it closes someone else's arc. Absolutely. It's, like, it's stupid. How does Shane Black do that? <laughs> Double rainbow of arc. <laughs> Success. Um, I think it was just fantastic. I, I know Gojo's points of contention I also share, but to a slightly lesser degree. Um, but I think it's, I think it's uh, phenomenal. I think this is the one where Downey actually had to act. I mean, the other ones, he just rolled out of bed and showed up on set and was like, I'm here, and they're like, well, let's film. It's fantastic, though. <laughs> he, oh, no, I'm not I'm not saying it's a bad thing at all. I think it's it's amazing. Like, it was really cool. That I was like, man, Downey's digging deep in this one. <laughs> it was it was really, 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 really good. All Very right. Really. Tim. <clears throat> all right. Um, loved it. Like, really, really loved it. Um, I can't get too much into what I loved about it until the spoiler part, but I do want to say real quick that um, I, t- I was talking to Willie about this, but... Pepper Potts is my agent. Like, everybody loves Agent Coulson. I love Pepper Potts. <laughs> I love the name. Actually, I mostly just love the name. <laughs> it's such a good name. And, um, because I'm not actually crazy about Gwyneth Paltrow in a lot of other movies, but for some reason, like... You know Slot Indoors fan? <laughs> ooh. Or Emma. <laughs> yeah. Um, but for some reason, like, I love... Like, this is getting creepy. But, but and, like, Pepper got... Pot Don't has, worry, I'm going to talk about Guy Pearce. Like, you're, you're talking about Gwyneth... <laughs> But, like, Pepper got stuff, stuff to do in this movie. I was she so did. excited. And, she very well did. And I loved it. So, Good. that was, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I would certainly say that this is the best Iron Man movie. Um, I'm I'm kind of iffy on whether or not it's the best Marvel Cinematic Universe movie, but I can see where Nick is coming from. I was actually a little worried when you said to just eat past Thor, because I forgot that Thor isn't 
close to my favorite, and Thor is your favorite. And I was like, oh, 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 okay, okay. But no, I think it. I think it was fantastic. Um, I love how you can tell that it's a Shane Black movie from the opening second of the film. You got a Robert Downey Jr. voiceover, and it was it was very very cool. You really felt his hand. In it. Yeah, it's and like which is the complete opposite of John Favreau. John Favreau's really good at like staying back, and the movie like happens before you and it's very much he stays out of the way but but Shane Black definitely brings part of himself into the movie and it's it, it was very interesting um definitely stay after the credits if you don't know how to do that then you're weird and um <laughs> you are weird or you have to go to the bathroom no don't go to the bathroom <laughs> there's don't, no peeing don't <laughs> drink anything for like the whole day beforehand but uh no I think you know we all loved it that kind of sums up our thoughts on it so uh Anything else? Let's get to those spoilers, boys. All right, we're gonna take to get up and pee. Yeah, we're gonna take a quick break, uh, and and then we'll come back with our spoiler section for Iron Man three. And we're back. Spoiler section for Iron Man three. Ooh. <laughs> uh, Willie, you got some some thoughts? Yeah, just a couple quick things. I I want to echo again the fact that this is a Shane Black film, which is awesome. I am so happy to see that Marvel is letting directors make movies that they want to make that happen to be based in the Marvel universe. Yeah, that's what this feels like. Yeah, I mean there's there are echoes of Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. There are echoes of Buddy Cop, Lethal Weapon, and it's awesome. Um, so thank you Marvel for doing that I hope they continue to do it throughout the course of, of the second set of movies um, that being said I think with the previous movie I think that we've gone in the exact opposite direction in terms of kind of connecting the connective tissue thing which is good, it, it's a good thing um, there were, I love the easter eggs in the Marvel movies that's one of my favorite things because being a, a fan it's stuff that you know some of us might pick up on that not everybody's going to pick up on. It's just cool to be in the know. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. It's a cool feeling to be like, I know what that is. You know, yeah. like Human Torch in Captain America. Mm -hmm. It was very neat. Um, there are less Easter eggs, I think, this time around, or less noticeable ones, but I want to pop off a few here. Um, obviously, AIM is an obvious one. Um, Advanced Idea Mechanics is a huge role in the comic books, and we'll see if they take that any further down the road. It's possible. I think I think that's the thing. Like, sure real, so. real quick... Uh, Slash Film did an interview with Kevin Feige and Shane Black, and uh, Peter Serretta was basically just like, yeah, it's really good how this movie's like totally standalone. And then Kevin Feige was like, there are some things in this movie that directly set up for Avengers 2. And I think... Sure. One step oh my closer God. to oh MODOK. Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, yeah. don't tease me. <laughs> I think we could see AIM, but anyway. But yeah, AIM, AIM is a huge, huge thing in the book, so it was very cool to see them worked in in any way, shape, or form. The same with Rocks on Oil. It was nice to have them have another mention in there. Yeah. They're a big corporation in the Marvel Universe. Um, obviously the after credit sequence this is the spoiler section so we're just throwing it out there yep. Bruce Banner of course makes a a brief cameo I wasn't nuts about this after credit sequence it was cool to see Banner back Mark Ruffalo looked really old um, <laughs> um, they could have at least like dyed his hair for him or he something he could have shaved he looked rough um, yeah. but you know after he Avengers, looked rough kind of, he looked rough hello oh, um, but after after Avengers, maybe he's feeling kind of rough. I don't know. It was cool to see him Hello. with Tony because they rode off into the sunset together at the end of Avengers. So that was that was kind of nice. Um, I wish we I wish that the ending sequence was a little more along the lines uh, was a little less shawarma and a little more Thanos 
if that yeah. makes any sense. Yeah. Just because this movie does stand alone so long on its, own, on its own that it almost feels more like an epilogue to phase one than a beginning to phase two, which We've, is totally okay. But I guess if there was any opportunity in this movie to, to start getting people psyched, it would be the after credit sequence. And we didn't get that this time around, so... Not a, not a huge complaint by any means, but... And then, of course, Fin Fang Foom is actually in this movie. Um, I don't know if you guys noticed, oh, but Fin oh. Fang Foom is Guy Pierce as much as the Mandarin is Guy Pierce. He's got dragon tattoos all over him, and he breathes fire. He breathes fire. He's Fin Fang Foom. There's <laughs> um, red eyes. Yes. Um, a couple small complaints, and then we'll get into the thing that most people I seem to think are complaining about, certainly online. Um, some of the CG was a little wonky, I felt like, in this movie. Compared to Avengers, and I don't—I think that's probably because of, of time and budget constraints. Maybe I, I don't know. It wasn't all bad. It didn't take me out of the movie, but there were some moments here and there where I was like, "It looks a little bit outdated for what it should look like." Um, and there's a couple small plot holes, like why didn't he get the surgery to begin with? But I think I'm going to get back to that later on. I think there's a reason for that. Yeah, that can be explained. Okay. And why didn't he call his armors earlier? And I think that we could probably explain that as simply it was a last ditch effort. No, 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 no. No. He he. Lim- there's a part where Jarvis is like, and the cellar doors have been cleared now, sir. Like, okay. Oh, that's the right. house was actually... destroyed. That makes sense. Top. Okay, yeah, that so... makes sense. Well, there you have it. I I, I, think I was one because the, there was a slash film article again that one of the guys brought that up, and I was like, no, there's. I mean, it's yeah. yeah it's an excuse for there to not for those suits to not be there, but sure. But I I didn't even think about that. So never yeah. mind. Disregard what I just said. <laughs> I think it's a combination of both those, though. I mean, that was like you—you you said it really well on the on the the phone when we talked about it afterwards. Is that it was his hail mary? I think that's part of it. Yeah, yeah. that and that Jarvis was down for most of the second act. I mean, it's a combination of all these things. I sure. think you can. So it's explainable, and it, like I said, it didn't. But you, we have to point these things out. No, we are yeah, critiquing them. Totally. Point, so. Totally. Um, that being said. The biggest point of contention for a lot of people is the Mandarin twist. Hey guys. And I know the, well, the man with the biggest bone to pick is right here next to me on the couch. Man with the biggest bone. Hey. Oh, that's uh, not true. It's not um, too much information. Uh, okay. All right. I'm just going to rudely jump in here. Um, now, I, 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 okay. So, I'm going to preface this by saying when this movie was coming out and I found out that the Mandarin was the villain, um, I was I was really excited for that because we have seen three movies of Iron Man and I just I just didn't give a shit anymore honestly um, I just I'm like okay we're gonna see more Iron Man don't care the Mandarin is a villain um, for those of you not familiar he's um, so everyone brief yeah everybody nobody knows anything about the Mandarin because nobody cares. Uh, I don't really Which is care. funny because he's arguably like arguably the biggest he's, Iron Man villain. He's Iron Man's yeah. He's Iron Man's big threat. Um, he's the, he's he's this brilliant Chinese scientist, um, kind of a kind of a modern day warlord. He finds these alien rings that give him um, that give him that have special powers, uh, and he uses them to various effects. And uh, he builds his technological empire off of reverse engineering and blah 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 blah. Short, long story short, he's he's a type of villain that we haven't seen yet. He, he's um, he is an intellectual threat to Stark. He is a technological threat to Stark, and he's um, a physical. He's threat. a physical threat. Yeah, he's actually one time punched through Iron Man's armor barehanded. Um, he and, and we we should say there was a lot of talk about this. Like people were wondering when was Mandarin going to show up in Iron Man movies, and, and every everybody kind of assumed 
we're not going to see him until after Thor because we don't know if pe- if audiences will buy into the 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 magical properties that surround Mandarin and his race. Yes. Yeah. yeah, it's and and it was something that hints had been dropped throughout all throughout the first two movies. Uh, mm-hmm. Little Mandarin drops here and there and there. So, um, <laughs> well, the Ten Rings terrorist organization. The Ten Rings terrorist organization. And um, two of the the villains in in the film so far, um, the Raza, I believe, is the Raza name, was is there. wearing a ring that was supposed to represent that. Mm-hmm. And there's a deleted scene where uh, Jeff Bridges' character is wearing a ring and he, he takes the ring okay. from Raza oh, okay. specifically. And wasn't or, no, just... no, no, no. That's in the novelization of the movie. Okay. Oh, and wasn't but... Justin Hammer wearing a ring as well? Justin Hammer yeah. does have a ring that looks a lot like one of Mandarin's rings. And, but... and it's... It, there was... There was kind of a, a an unspoken build-up to the Mandarin kind of like there was... Like the Emperor in, in Star Wars. Uh, that's how I've been likening to this in my mental debates I'm having John with myself. John Favreau said it those exact yeah. words. Yeah, there we go. All right, see, I'm I'm not full of shit. Great um, times. And <laughs> then, um, and then we find out that the Mandarin, Iron Man's biggest villain, um, one of well, honestly one of probably one of the best villains in the Marvel universe, uh, is kind of a kind of a burnout actor. Um, is a clown is a joker it is it it would be akin to um to the emperor just just being some bumbling politician um he's bernie at weekend at bernie's yeah yeah he's just he's just a dead body that vader drags around he he just makes him talk with the force or something um it it was guys i think we found our first star wars standalone film but anyway weekend of palpatines yeah it was when it happened, I, I was my jaw was just on the floor. I'm like, uh, 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 again, like the weird sound my soul makes when weird things happen. I was I kept waiting for them to be like for for them to pull a switcheroo like Mandarin. He just pulled the wool over Stark's eyes and nope, nope, nope. Uh, and it was, it was such a letdown for me because. As great of a villain as as Guy Pierce was, um, he was uh, extremist catch-all man. He could breathe fire. He could make his hands really hot, and he could just chop through metal. It, it was it, there was no rhyme or reason to what the extremist did, and that's going into another point. Um, but he he felt like he felt like evil CEO um, to me. Uh, whereas the Mandarin was he could have been. A vil- I, I think there was the potential there that he could have been a villain along the lines of a Joker, um, somebody who is, who is, just on he is on or past Tony Stark's par, um, could have pushed him to a new point mentally, physically, everything like that, and is ideologically driven so that there's something more here, uh, there's something more in conflict with the villain than just. Um, hey, you stood me up. Yeah, I'm gonna burn you to the ground. Yeah, uh, it was. It was such a wasted opportunity, in my point, and in in my opinion, and the fact that they were pushing the Mandarin, out. I mean, heavily pushing him in every in every preview to this movie. Everything it was all a, oh, it's Tony Stark's real showdown with the Mandarin here in Iron Man three, and then uh, essentially we get a pie thrown in our face uh, when when we get the reveal. Uh, it was I, I was. 
I was so I, I was so mad. I immediately honestly. thought there are so many people that are going to be angry about this. Mm-hmm. And and honestly, if if it was if if the Mandarin's character in this film was um uh Bobby Sunshine or you know just some I don't know, make him some generic terrorist uh who is not an existing character, who doesn't, you know, there are no expectations for this character. That twist would have been it would have been awesome. I would have loved it. Um Here's but, here's a quick question I want to pose though, and this is this is just me trying to approach it from the other side. Do you think uh, just just given given what we got this let's take everything we got from Ben Kingsley as Mandarin up until the point when you find out that he's Trevor, which which is the best name. Who is incredible. Trevor. <laughs> Trevor's a perfect name. King, yeah. And and Nick mentioned you mentioned to me his character arc, his red carpet walk <laughs> at the end is so beautiful. Trevor has a character arc. He does. But anyway, <laughs> so so I. If you had taken into account all the stuff you see from all the propaganda, film, and stuff, do you think that the twist, and disregarding the comic book Mandarin, yes. do you think the twist that we get and the shock and awe and hilarity of the twist winds up being better story-wise than just having Mandarin be the villain that he was... Be Bane. Be kind of. Bane, Joker, Amalgam. I, I think if you take away, if you take away the all pre-existing notions of the Mandarin... Uh, I think the twist is great, which is li- like I said, if he was just some, if he was just some other character, um, then I thought I think that would have been uh, I would have nothing. I would sure. have no complaints about sure. that twist. But you can't. I don't think you can do that. Yeah, um, I mean, certainly not as a. Con- I, mean, I mean, I think general audiences I, aren't going to mind this at all. I yeah, people that are, don't aren't aware of the Mandarin as a character and don't have any yeah. preconceived. And I, and I honestly, I, I can't say I, I disagree with you. I liked the twist, but. It's. I feel about it the same way I felt about going to Transformers or GI Joe. It has no. There is no special place in my heart for this character. Yeah. I mean, I realize what he could be on screen. I know that there could, we could have had a very, not a very not even having to be like the racist stereotype thing, but but a Mandarin that was similar to the comic book counterpart that could have been an incredible villain. But if they did this, the same twist to Baron Zemo in Captain America Two, I would be. Livid, furious. <laughs> so I can't. Yeah. I can't. I can't say I would that. Too. I, I if for for the, for the three Mandarin diehards out there and those that, <laughs> and, and more than that, I, I joke. I there's, kid, yeah, but, there's five. Dude. But, <laughs> yeah, I, but no, I, I I kid because for for those that were really excited to see the potential of what the Mandarin, the, the real Mandarin, could bring on screen, I I truly understand that. Yeah. But since for me, even though I know who he is, I guess I don't know. I guess I was so. Pleased with the risk that was being taken by Marvel, and the thing is, if there was any time for this studio to play it safe with their movies, it is now. I mean, they they know what works, and they could eke out another two phases worth of movies, yeah. Yeah. just doing the same safe stuff. I'm very happy that that almost for me, the fact that they took those risks made me feel better <clears throat> about what we're getting. And I know it sucks. I know it sucks that we're not going to ever get the real Mandarin with the awesome rings that shoot fire and do <laughs> awesome stuff. But I feel like between, and I think we should segue into Mr. Pierce here, I think between the hilarity, (laughs) Nick is ripping his shirt, (laughs) I think between the hilarity and the shock and the the, the fact that it shows they're going to take risks, and the fact that Guy Pierce is a pretty damn good villain in this movie, I think... Despite, I can sleep better at night. Despite just being, like, a man who does have powers, but he's still, like... Uh, we'll, we'll let we'll let Nick, Nick lead the. Uh, I can't even say his name straight. Lead the guy, guy Pierce charge. Yes, Nick, please lead, lead the, the guy, guy Pierce, Pierce charge. 
Well, I do. It's interesting because as Gojo was citing the Mandarin's uh, pluses, you, you were like, he is Stark's intellectual peer, his technological peer, and his and a physical threat. That's what Guy Pierce is in this movie. He fulfills all of those things. And I hadn't really thought about it that way until you just said that, but he is he's intellectually on his level. He had a great idea with the with with uh, with AIM, and although he kind of took Rebecca Hall's ideas and kind of turned them into his own thing. That's the thing. It, well, no, keep going. I don't want to interrupt. Yeah. But um, I just interrupted. That was rude. Kids, don't do that at home. <laughs> My train Always let just someone else speak. I. I want to. I want to put a, my little bow on the Mandarin thing, though. Like what you said, you argued it so well that yeah, I I I do super agree with you. I think that not even from like a we need to see the real Mandarin, but like Tony Stark is like the hero for everybody. Like all the lay people and and a lot of the fans who've seen the Avengers, they like Tony Stark is is the lead one. He is the most not really the most powerful, but he is, and he's not really the leader, but he is. He's like the figurehead. And he hasn't had that villain that's like, wow, Tony that, Stark that's pushed is in him trouble. to his. I, that was what I was. I was hoping from the Mandarin was someone along, not along the character lines of the Joker, but the conflict lines. He was somebody who Joker pushed Batman to every possible limit he had, um, and and it was the two of them were. I mean, you could see why they are polar opposites, why they are enemies, arch enemies. Uh, I was I was really hoping for somebody who pushes Tony Stark so far beyond um, beyond his his comfort zone beyond what he he is that he's forced to dig deep and become something greater which which to an, an extent happened um, it's but, maybe really really weird because it does but it, it doesn't the movie it, is so lighthearted it it's yeah it like ninety nine percent of the time it pushes yeah it, it, Guy Pierce fills fills every um, template that I was kind of hoping for the Mandarin, but ultimately, for me, he was not uh, he didn't reach that that higher level of of character. I, I And you know what would have made him do it? Is if Pepper had actually died. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was the soul noise. Although yeah, no. Um, I never felt in this movie, and this is one of my points that, that uh, I wanted to talk about, I never felt in this movie that Tony was ever really in danger. I felt like he was going through some shit, for sure. Like, the scene at night was so good, and all of his anxiety attacks were so good, but I was like, he's Tony Stark, he's gonna think his way out of it, or build something to, to, and it's, to it's an microwave glove his way out of it. It's an inherent flaw in the character, because Tony generally doesn't really, he, he loves himself very much, but he doesn't care. I mean, traditionally he's an alcoholic, he doesn't care about himself. He didn't care in the second one when he was getting the poisoning. He was just like, oh, I'm going to try and drink this chlorophyll and whatnot. So there's nothing that you can do to Tony Stark that puts him in danger that would make him care, but you can take away the people that he loves. And the movie did it, it did and then it. it undid it. Yeah. But, but the movie, that's the story the movie tells, though, is that now at the end he cares about himself. He, yeah. That's the story it tells. I mean, it's true. It's it, very... Yeah, it's not... So in a, in a way, like, all the issues I have with the Mandarin, the like, Gojo addresses so well, and I think are totally true, they're resolved, but it's still not quite as satisfying as it could have been. Like, I totally get it, because this movie is a movie. And I remember when it was over... <laughs> Yeah. I was like, "Fuck yes, movies!" Yeah. And like the credit, the yeah. credit sequence. I was oh. like, "This movie knows it's a movie, and everyone in it knows they're in a movie." And Shane Black's like, "I'm making a movie." 
It has nothing to do with the other movies, really, or that we know of. Like Feige coyly said, he's like, oh, no one knows yet, but there's a lot of subtle stuff. He's like, people will go back and see it. Yeah. But as like the credits were so like tongue in cheek and James Bondy, I was like, they were awesome. I was like, <laughs> yeah. oh no, they are. I was like, this movie is a movie, and like they knew they were making a movie. And Shane Black's like, I'm writing a movie. I'm not writing your prologue. I'm not writing your epilogue. I'm making a fucking movie. And I was like, thank you. Like the and like the overabundance of arcs in this movie <laughs> is so good. And it's just such a, it's just great to see just a movie being made. And it doesn't have to tie in anything bigger. And in a way, that's why the post credit sequence is cool, because it's only about this movie. Yeah. It's about their little relationship. And I was dying for a Guardians of the Galaxy tease. Literally, I was sitting in the theater the whole movie. I would just keep thinking, like, is there going to be Guardians at the end? Like, I couldn't <laughs> wait. But I'm so glad that this movie stands on its own. And Guy Pierce. So <laughs> I love Guy Pierce so much. And I have for years. And I remember ever since I was like, 15 maybe and I saw LA Confidential and I saw um, The Count of Monte Cristo I was like who is this guy he's so awesome because he played such a good guy in LA Confidential and he played such a sleazebag in uh, Count of Monte Cristo and then I saw Ravenous and I was like yes Guy Pierce, and he's just he's done nothing but just be awesome forever and, uh, <laughs> and then we saw we saw Lockout and I was like and of course my, my all time favorite movie Memento he's so good in yeah. and the guy can seriously he can play pretty. He's played pretty much everything up to this point. I have to see Two Brothers still, but I'm pretty sure he's amazing in that. It's about like baby lion or baby tiger, <laughs> baby tiger, and yeah. he's in it. It's yeah. a Disney joint. <laughs> and he's probably amazing. He probably plays like like Michael Madsen playing the dad in Free Willy, the stepdad. It's probably the guy can just the guy can do anything. And I remember when we when we saw he was going to be in this movie, and it, it seemed very clear. It was like he's going to be the brains of the operation. James Badgedale is going to be the muscle, and uh, Ben Kingsley is going to be like the, the puppet the master, the, the master yeah. as they called him, which was awesome. Um, and I and I remember somebody, I think it was you, Alex, that you were like, I, I have this really strong feeling we're only going to get like 15, 20 minutes of Guy Pearce in the movie. Like it doesn't seem like he's going to have a really meaty role. Yeah. And you convinced me with that because the marketing was so pushed towards the Mandarin or towards Ben Kingsley's towards Trevor <laughs> that I I was basically I had. I had built myself up to be like, okay, Guy Pierce is going to be in the movie for a little bit, but he's probably going to rape the shit and he's going to be awesome, and uh, which was all true. But he he ended up being like in throughout the whole movie, and, and in the opening scene when you see him, he's all dirty and ugly and crippled yeah. and just awesome. I was like, God, Guy Pierce is so good because I knew because I knew later he was going to show up as like this buff, tan, like Dolph Ziggler haired out <laughs> suit suit with no socks on and his dress shoes. Like he, he was amazing, and he played he played such a good he played a better uh, Tony kind of contemporary than Sam Rockwell did. Sam Rockwell wanted to be, like Justin Hammer wanted to be on that level, but he wasn't. Yeah. And then Guy Pierce just walks in and Favreau is immediately like, there's a threat. Like, you know, <laughs> like, this is like the, this is like the, this is dark Tony. <laughs> this is like the black mask that we wanted for Christian Bale's yeah, Absolutely. Just, that's a great way to say it. Like yeah. Guy Pierce, he just embodied it so well. And as the movie was unfolding, I was like, I'm really, really, really pleased with where they're taking his character. And then when they revealed that he had extremists, I was like, oh, interesting. I wonder if he'll be, like, a brawler at all. And then he was, and it was awesome. And he ripped off his, his like, polo shirt that was probably, like, $200 and didn't even care. <laughs> and he just had Fin Fang Foom tattoos all over him. Yeah. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, in the theater, I'm just like, what is happening? And when he breathed fire, I was just like, this villain is just so insane. And yet, I totally bought it. And it made me, like you said, the extremists is kind of, they never really define what exactly it can do, but it felt real enough. Because if the Mandarin had rolled up with his ten rings, you've got a whole other 
bag of worms to deal with there. And obviously they've yeah. they talked about aliens already. There was space has entered the equation. I feel like it would have needed a lot more explanation than extremists really the did. rules of the ten rings is so nebulous that it's dif- ten, it's yeah. dif- it's a huge undertaking it's it's one of those things that it's like uh this is this is going to be uh, it's going to be another catch-all uh like it's ex- like extremist was except I unless think they had those... turned them into like this is a mini the, i mean there mark are one and this is a mini mark two and this one shoots disintegration and fire and ice and like if they were all technologically based that's what they are i mean they all have they all have their functions um yeah. but there's 10 of them and they're alien in origin and who is going to keep track of that in yeah. theaters it's like uh uh right, so why don't you not just use them all right right, right, all right index uh that's that's the warp drive uh, or no no damn it, damn it that's the right hand yeah, yeah. no it's it yeah. yeah there's a lot of th- Back to All right, yeah. I think for the for, for, for fear, for fear the of spending like <laughs> forever twenty minutes on both Guy Pierce and Mandarin I mean, completely. Problem? No, there's no problem, but no. I think there are other things. Yeah, that... so it was just it was very good to see that that they cast an actor like Guy who can just do it all pretty much. Yeah. And he was very funny and entertaining and off putting at the beginning of the movie, and I think everybody got like a lot of chuckles out of him. There was one line he had. Or like a noise he made. He was like, yeah, or something. Like, I don't remember what it was from, but it made me laugh so hard. I was like, man, he's so sleazy. And then he just shows up later, totally just slick as shit. And, yeah. uh, he wasn't wasted like you thought, Prometheus. Um, <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, absolutely. And so in a way, we kind of did finally get that villain that did push Stark pretty hard. It just was done in such an unusual way that it'll probably be even. It'll probably sit better on the second viewing because we'll yeah. know. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking it, I'll I'll be able to appreciate it a little more second viewing because my expectations are where they should be. Although yeah. I will say I'm kind of it's fine for for the fact that this was like a, like a standalone movie, but it's kind of a drag that a villain that was finally that good it had to die. But I think that's probably okay because most of these villains are just like they're just living too long and they're the, the potential of them always coming back kind of stands. I would be worried about them trying to make the next Loki. Sure, and so then guy who keeps coming up. Yeah, fair enough. Um, okay, Tim, do you have anything in particular that you want to discuss, spoiler-wise? Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about, um, I don't want to touch on the Mandarin stuff too much, but I want to touch on a little, because it's funny, and the reactions to it are interesting to me, because it was the exact moment, that reveal, where I went, I love this movie. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I am, and, and honestly, if I think if it has a flaw, I think it loses a little bit of momentum after the reveal, uh, towards the end, once it turns into kind of a standard blockbuster yeah. type movie, and I think it loses, but I was so in in its corner at that yeah. point that I didn't care. Um, but what I love about this movie, and why I wanted to touch on that, is because I love this movie's balls. Like, it, like it opens like it's a really confident movie. It opens with Eiffel 65's blue because Tony Stark is sad. And, like, it totally works. And it's just so silly. And and, and because that's 1999. And 1999, of course, yeah. But it ties in. It's a great in. opening with, like, the Paramount logo. Yeah. That, was, <laughs> that was so good. I'm like, this movie is, this movie is different. This is a movie. Yeah. But just, yeah, throughout. And um, what was the other thing I, I was going to touch on? But he makes, he makes a spy movie. He makes a superhero movie. He makes a... Detective movie. A detective movie. He makes a movie with a kid that like isn't terrible. <laughs> yeah, so, like, yeah. He makes a, he just, all of the stuff in there, and it's such a competent movie. Even that twist is just. You like so, the kid too. I did yeah. like the kid. I loved the I kid. I liked the kid. kid was I, great. I liked the kid, and um, but oh, there's another little moment, and it's a little moment, but um, it's the Pepper Tony relationship, which is part of the reason why I like the character so much. But I like that relationship so much, and there is a part where um, 
she goes like, I'm going to take a shower and you're going to do it with me. And I'm like, oh my God, a superhero is about to have sex. <laughs> like, this, this never happens. Like, so, like, because most of the movies... Adult it's, foods. <laughs> yeah. And most of the superhero movies, it's kind of a... It bothers me a little when I watch them is they just kind of shut, like, the... Thor is the one that kind of sticks with me. It's like, just kind of shuffle their feet and make, like, doe eyes at each other. Spider-Man. But, like, Tony Stark's going to have sex with Pepper Potts in the shower. <laughs> Like, this is great. Like, <laughs> like, this is a human being right now. Like, so I was really excited. I was excited by that. But <laughs> well, it was cool, too, to see her kind of play the almost dominant part. Yes. In the she did that yeah. in Avengers in her brief scene, which was, it, I agree. It was yeah. really cool to see, like, a real relation, a, a relationship yes. that felt like a real human being relationship between yes. a superhero. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that, and that's kind of what I meant by tying it all in, but... Um, I'm trying to remember if there's anything else I wanted to touch on. But yeah, the whole thing, yeah, I just start to finish. How did, how did you feel about War Machine's role in this movie? Oh, yeah, we need to talk about War Machine a little. Um, I think so, but I wanted you to do it for me. Okay. <laughs> so I, I liked it. They let, they gave Don Cheadle a lot more to do, which was nice. Um, the second one, I was disappointed. I actually liked the chemistry between Terrence Howard and um, Tony Stark a lot in the first one. Uh, there was kind of like a sleazy, like, get drunk and go to a strip club kind of street between those two. And Don Cheadle's a little more formal than... He's much more military. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't... I wasn't crazy about him in the second one, honestly. This one I liked a lot better. There were parts where it felt like he kind of floated in and out of the movie that kind of took me out of it a little. But I, I think it was... It's kind of a necessary evil, honestly. Um, I don't know... I'm sure there are probably some deleted scenes with him, but I'm just not sure how much more I actually wanted to see, to be honest with you. Um, I mean, but towards the end, I'm trying to... Well, I know I know that Gojo Gojo feels that he uh, was a little bit underutilized. I, yes, I feel almost... Not, yes. the, not the exact... I feel the opposite. Um, I feel... <laughs> um, war, the, the Iron Patriot suit, um, uh, Rhodey in the, uh, Rhodey's, Rhodey's role as the Iron Patriot was um barely there it was it was a he was a keystone cop kind of it's like well that's, i'm gonna that's bust the down the door to this uh this so this sewing shop here this sweatshop uh nope no mandarin here i'll be on my way uh there's they do that twice and then he's he's iron uh, <clears throat> iron patriot does not fire a shot in the entire movie yeah um except from his Glock pistol when the bad guy is in the suit. You are in you are in one of the most expensive weapons. A giant suit that has guns and repulsor beams and you steal a man's Glock pistol to shoot somebody with? Is that not the biggest waste? That's like that's like beating somebody to death with with a tank. You just pick up the tank and just like club him over the head. It, 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 oh, oh, oh. That's the noise. I didn't take it so much as like a Keystone Cops with him as the character itself was incompetent. I took it more as the government itself. That's, was yeah, that's what I was going to yeah. say. Is that, that, here, it's like, yeah. nope. They, they made the government is like, we don't have Iron Man. Yeah. We need a symbol that shows that we are still relevant because we could get destroyed by aliens at any minute now. Yeah. And then on top of that, that just renders him completely useless by the incompetent government that's like, oh, we're tracking the Mandarin here. I mean, here, what, here. does anyone remember how... Because I haven't seen Iron Man 2 since I saw it in the theater. And is there a logical way that explains why Iron or uh, War Machine is the government's, like, watchdog? Well, um, it basically just happens Do that they explain why Tony's okay with his suit? He, he, lets, him, he lets him take it because uh, they get in the fight. 
he's in the suit, he flies off, Nick well, Fury says, how did you just let him take your suit? And Black Widow's, he's like, well, he beat me up, and Black Widow's like, well, there are safety precautions. He let him do it. Yeah, and, and, and it's because the government was like, Tony, you need to give us Iron Man, otherwise we can't allow you to do this anymore. Like, I, I think it was, I think it was, well, diverting briefly here, it was, uh, Tony didn't want to give up the suit, he didn't want to give the government the suit, but he wasn't so much, maybe not so much against... Giving a them, them the have yeah, giving Rhodey the suit or letting them have the suit if Rhodey's in charge of it. Yeah. It was he just didn't want to be the one to just give it up. Yeah. Um, and then Rhodey takes it. It's yeah. just a we- it's a very weird relationship between Tony Stark and Rhodey and the government. Like it's just the scene where they were hanging out eating lunch in like the restaurant, I was like, There's a really weird dynamic here when he's saying, Come on, you're you know it's classified, tell me what's up and he's and like, they're just oh. talking about Yeah, it's just well that and just the the whole relationship with the government having it and like Iron Patriot Flying inside or hanging out in Air Force One with the president is just—it was very—it we- was—it was, yeah. was weirdly handled. I'm like, why doesn't he just sit on top of it or like or fly, fly alongside of it? it. Yeah. yeah. Of or course, he was. He need- I mean, that was—it was a bad guy at that point, so yeah. he was looking to just yeah. Well, but they were like but waiting they were like, to leave oh, until he hey. showed up. No, yeah, they were, I don't think they were waiting to leave until he showed up. He showed up as they were leaving, and they were like, "Oh, they've sent extra." Like extra, uh, like another person to take care of any possible threats that could. Why show would up. you put him? Why would you let him in the plane? It, it seemed weird. weird to me. Like it's, if a missile's coming at you, would you do? Open the plane so we can get out. Like, <laughs> it, yeah, that that seemed a little weird. But every almost uh, yeah. everything about War Machine in this movie bothered me. Everything about Rhodey was awesome. Like the two of them together, their banter was great. Don Cheadle totally nailed all the all the. The lines, there are those lines that are, they have to be delivered a certain way, otherwise it's going to come off as dumb, like when he's like, oh, you breathe fire? Like, yeah. he did it so well, and yeah. I was like, all, the, all that dialogue, that type of dialogue makes me super nervous, but Cheeto nailed it, <laughs> Rhodey was great, it's just the War Machine dynamic no, was really, I, I can, it was, was kind of wasted. It, yeah. And, and I, I wanted to see, I, I, never mind, because we had 42 Iron Men, it was fine. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just saying, I wanted to see him and, him and, yeah. him and yeah. Rhodey. You, but my, you get that so so good in Iron Man 2. That is the one redeeming thing about Iron Man 2 is the final act, the drone battles, and Iron Man fighting Rhodey, like fighting Rhodey, and then Rhodey and Iron Man fighting together. Yes, I would love to see more of it. And my, my I have to talk about it for like at least 30 to 60 I have cause... 2 minutes and 55 <laughs> seconds to say anything I wanted to say about this movie. <laughs> okay. But... I will defer to you, and I'll take another go, few minutes. Not after that. Go ahead. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> no. We we have we are we are fifteen minutes below our normal time, so we have time for time. extra stuff. Okay, now that unnecessary we'll just, calling out of we'll just me skip, wanting to we'll, talk about we'll criticism, skip, we'll skip the uh, the food for thought this week, as usual. I think well, I think this is a big concern for me. With this is my biggest concern with the movie, more than the Mandarin or anything, is um, uh. The like I said, the lack of of danger for Tony, and I forgot to really emphasize my main point of the whole movie because I got hung up on Guy Pierce. Um, the 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 <laughs> fact that, that he's point. he's never in the suit in this movie. He's in the yeah. suit like three times, and it's always very briefly, and it's usually to arrive or to leave somewhere. And the I'm so torn on it because just like the the Mandarin twist, it's so cool to see these suits flying themselves, and it's really cool that he can remotely control it. It's awesome. Like, it's super awesome. The implications of the technology are so cool. For the purposes of the story, it's really neat. For him, it's convenient, because if he's like, oh, there's a suit over there and I can't be there right now, let me just fly it. Yeah. That's neat. But it removes all, any and all danger for me. Like, the scene, the Air Force One rescue scene was so sweet. And I was watching this, and him and Jarvis working together, it was like the first movie where he was like, divert power to this, and let's take me to the highest we can go so we can make Ironmonger stall. It was really cool to see those two together in the suit. 
And the rescue was really neat, and watching Tony struggle with, can I save them all, which ones do I choose to save, was all neat. And he's not even there. Like, I understand <laughs> if those people die, that's on him. But if he's not physically there, in that suit, sweating and doing those moves with his body and, like, exerting himself there, to me, it makes it almost null and void. Like, when it showed he was just sitting in, like, a darkened room, like, using the Kinect to fly <laughs> the Mark 42 or whatever, I was like, really? Well, they did say that he couldn't do both at the same time, so it made sense. I know, for the plot it served it, but that doesn't mean I like it. Yeah. It doesn't mean yeah. I'm okay with okay. it. Like, it... For me, I'm like, well, the suspense for that scene is pretty much ruined for me now because I'm going to watch it again and be like, it's awesome. It's an awesome action sequence, but part of the, the dilemma should be having to actually make a damn choice. And I'd be like, well, I can do both. Hang on. And I think, but, but I like, think it's, like I said, I'm not I'm denying, take a picture of your I'm not denying <laughs> that it's, it's awesome. It is fucking sweet. No, no, no. no it's yeah. so sweet. But for me, like, it removes an element of the danger. It's like Batman remote control flying the bat to a scene in The Dark Knight Rises, like, it's sweet, but you're not there. It kind of, it kind of, for me, like makes it a well, little. Well, I mean, you did kind of get that with the, the bomb, with the yeah. bat. No, not oh. even just that, but the Batmobile in in the Dark Knight. It just Briefly. pops in and. Briefly, but, but then he's, he's also there. there too. I, so. I think that's what made. But, go on, go on. Okay, so the, the, yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> again, that twist. That I mean, that 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 twist was. It's another way they they're making these twists that then undercut things they've already done with like with the Mandarin. Um, that twist kind of undercut the villain. The villain they were setting up. The twist with Tony not even being in the suit. It's like, oh well, what was the point of that? Um, it's really like yeah, it's very I totally cool. Understand the point, but yeah. it and and the, the 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 climax with all the suits was like the coolest action sequence I've seen in, in recent memory. But it was kind of a drag that obviously one forty forty first of the time he was actually like the one and and and. In harm's way, and it, it, it's weird because at the same time, like if a suit got taken out, I was bummed. I was like, "Oh man, yeah. bye, <laughs> like bye, suit." And, and, well, see what you did. The thing is, like, I guess I wish he had been. I wanted to see if there had been like a tracking shot, like Avengers style, of him in a suit and like midair ejecting into another suit and having that one get blown up. Like I was like, I wanted one midair swap of of a suit. But if there had been a tracking shot of him jumping from suit to suit to suit to suit, it would have been the best action sequence of the decade. <laughs> it was, the potential was, was just super there for that. And uh, I, I like it when Tony himself is directly at the end of the gun and he is still in danger. He's the guy in the suit. I think, I think it's kind of interesting to think about the fact that this movie, there's so little time of him in the suit and the movie ends with him realizing that he doesn't need to be Iron Man. Yeah, yeah. that's why I'm so torn, because the character arc that Shane Black yeah. lays out is phenomenal. Yeah. And the fact that it closes everything that he was dealing with and takes everything from those first three movies and puts it into this movie and wraps it up neatly and makes him realize, I don't need this arc reactor on my chest, I don't need this suit, I am Iron Man. Taking the bomb-ass line from the end of the first movie and yeah. just Nolanizing it and flipping it right <laughs> on its head for the end of his third movie was genius. So... My complaint is, in a way, null and void, because it, it fit the movie so well, but at the same time, I wanted... I mean, sue me, I wanted Iron Man no, being no, no. Iron Man. No, 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 and I, I, com I completely understand that, but I think the reason that I was okay with it is just that it all adds up to something so... Like, it would have... I think some of your reservations would have been solved if the whole Pepper thing would have been dealt with a little bit better. Like, if, if that was the thing... If that's what Tony, like... If Tony had... If that was the thing that made Tony do what he was doing, and like that was the danger that he had, is like he's going to lose Pepper, and it meant more if he did lose Pepper. 
you know. I also kind of wanted him to be the one to finish off, man. Like, I yeah, wanted the yeah. Unabeam to the chest to be for yeah for Man or and Fin Fang Mandarin instead of <laughs> instead of James Bandage. I mean, it was and awesome, Fing but. Fang Eldritch Mandarin. <laughs> yeah. And can I say that after after Pepper falls, you know, two hundred feet into the fire, he's like, no, oh, yeah, he's like, oh, oh, Joe. whoa. There's Whoa. a maximum of ten seconds okay. spent he, he, thinking about her dying. Well, he's yeah. got, a, he, he, he's he's got, got this kind of blank him. look, and, yeah, it, like, and then like, after, yeah, after uh, uh, Aldrich blah 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 drops in, he's like, "Okay, I'm completely focused on you now." Uh, you, he didn't seem thrown at all by that. He no. just seemed it seemed to focus him so much more, yeah. which I didn't buy at all. See, um, I liked that actually. I liked it. Yeah, yeah cause cause I was it, like, I thought like, oh man, Killian his dropped, style. Yeah, as soon as Killian <laughs> dropped in his crosshairs, and it, Donnie's face just went. That's the thing. Yeah, he focus. didn't. He didn't see. He didn't seem pissed to me. He's like, okay, all right. You want to make this a game? It, it was. It, it. It seemed like he was. Yeah. It. It didn't shake him mentally, which that's the only thing that probably should have. Um, is he just? Yeah, he just lost the one thing. He, he thinks he just lost the one thing that really matters in his life. And now he's just he's dropping into battle mode. Well, um, Tony's Tony's a, a he's a pragmatist though, and he's yeah, used he's, to making I, decisions based on logic, not emotion. I, I, I think, and I think in his brain, his highly scientific mind, he'd be like, "All right, well, we're gonna push. How do I kill this piece of shit to the forefront, and we're gonna deal with properly?" I, I kind of, I, I guess, I was expecting him to kind of lose his shit there, uh, to be thrown off of his game instead of to be entrenched deeper into it. And that's that was kind of that was kind of the one thing that I was hoping. The villain in this movie, whoever he may be, uh, was able to do is throw Tony so far off his game um, that he's just yeah that he has to rely on you know. So either they should have pushed Pepper's deeper. death forward in the movie and had it stick, or I I, think, I mean I thought his reaction was totally appropriate. He looks at okay. Killian and he's just like suit flies on him and he's like yeah. let's go yeah. like that was what I wanted. I was like let's see it. I'd have to see it again. I was yeah. probably so like. But Alex, you you need to talk about and you you totally put me to rest with uh, when when I initially complained about the lack of him in the suit. You said and your sentence was so good. You're like, instead, there's people doing awesome things in partial suits. And I yeah, think no, really- that's that's absolutely one of the things that I have two things that I really wanted to hit, and I'll have to think of what the second one was because I forgot it. But yeah, Pierce, I got you. <laughs> I I need to be Iron Man. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. Like the movie starts off with him putting the imp like the the. The Tony's extremis part of the extremist like storyline, him putting them into his arms so that he can control the suit and like summon it to him and to other people. Oh my god, it was amazing. <laughs> like the moment that that the uh, that cold blood James Bridgedale's character starts firing missiles at the Malibu house and uh, he sees Pepper's like Pepper's gonna die and he's just like <gasps> and flexes and he gets yeah. the the suit to like s- form itself around her. Brilliant! Like the, that is something so brilliant that uh, I can't even like I can't even talk about how brilliant it is <laughs> because <laughs> that was well done too because everybody thought Pepper was gonna have her own Pepper suit in the no, movie yeah. based on the marketing and it was cool that it was just I'm glad I didn't know I didn't I had no clue that any part of the suit was going to touch Pepper so and well, that's the other thing well. I wanted. that's that's the other thing that I wanted to talk about is I saw absolutely nothing I didn't see I saw one I saw the frame of him lying in the snow that was at the the beginning of the first trailer and I saw the shot of all of the suits that were like like that flew lined up up in formation yeah those are the two things that I saw and I would have been fine with that 
But no, then Marvel has to be like, here's the deep space suborbital suit, and here's the Hulkbuster, and here's a... Don't tell me that! Don't tell me anything! How crazy would my mind have been as I see the Mark 42 go into the cellar, and I see like 30 other... I'm like, what is... Go- what? How nuts would... My mind would have been so blown if I hadn't known a damn thing. And then people are like, oh, here's this little figure that's got the deep space suborbital suit. It's like, he's going to go to space. He's going to see the Guardians at the end of the movie. Oh, my God. That's what I thought. And nothing. You see it in one shot where he's... Okay, he's got the white and the gold. Oh, that's cool looking. Okay. Completely forget about... He doesn't even go into space once. Not that we know about. What was the point of having that? So I don't. Okay, you gave it a cute name. Who cares? But it was cool. It's it was very cool. That, well, was cool looking. Going back on going back on what Feige said though, that might be the little Easter egg that hint dropped. Maybe it could be one of the things that's, we haven't picked up. That's true, but I swear to God, if you just wouldn't have told me anything, I know I feel I, the same way. I would have been. My only counterpoint is because I watched the trailers and everything, it helped push the idea of what the Mandarin was going to be. Like, it made the bomb drop on me, and I think Gojo in particular, so much harder. Because we watched the trailers, and we were like, Mandarin's going to be a beast. And we See, like, but here's the thing. You guys were disappointed by it. Somewhat. Yeah. Somewhat. I, I, yeah, I was... I think I that's was, what Shane Black wanted, though, honestly. I think he wanted he wanted people to be like, Master Troll fuck? Shane Black. Exactly. Well, it was him, it was him throwing... I, I took it as him throwing down the gauntlet, too, for, like, the next couple. Because he's saying, yeah, this character... This is every James Bond villain ever. Or yeah. the Joker. Like, this character's been done to death. Like, do something different. Is yeah. that, That's kind of how I took it. And so that's that's why I liked it so much, too. So Although although then, I think... I think... Um, the guy, Aldrich... Aldrich... Uh, Killian... Yeah. Was... Was not different enough. Um, yeah. He was... He was... Again, he was... He was dark CEO. He was... He yeah. was very much... He was... He was well, very much Jeff Bridges, He was... He I was felt. dark CEO and kind of Swiss Army knife-ish because, yeah. like, here we need this person to so do these things. So there was this promise of this epic, climatic villain and it... It just... It, what it delivered was not quite up there. Um, yeah. I, I loved Killian. I... I mean, I could criticize what he was but when I was watching it, I'm like, this guy is awesome. This guy is a threat. Thank you, um, guy. Yeah, thank you, guy, for being guy. I um, think no, I think part of it though. I'm not just like I'm not just tooting his horn further, but I think if you had had a, a different or lesser actor in that part, it would have been way less satisfying too. If you had had kind of a vanilla, I don't think James Badgedale could have carried that on his own. If you had had like a Hugo Weaving casting choice, as Willie had said afterwards, but James Badgedale was awesome. Too. He was amazing, but I don't <laughs> know if he was even so trying. He was just effortless. Like yeah, ass. this this was this was right hand man. Yes, yeah, cool I play. hated him. But in the way they wanted you to hate yeah. him. I'm like, look at this chotch. I really hope this guy gets killed. He's a pro wrestling heel. Like, he's he was, a bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was, he was, um, fuck. He was, yeah, Dolph Ziggler. I don't know. He was straight up, straight up, yeah, heel, evil heel Max. Um, and, heel Max. Um, it, it, it was annoying, but I knew that was exactly what they were going for. And I wasn't really, I, I, I liked him because of that. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, this is. This is that scummy right hand man. He did. He did a great job. And I will say right here, it was very Shane Black, very eighties villainy. Yeah. I, I will say right here, Brittany can attest to this. I straight up made an audible noise of some kind that I cannot emulate. As soon as I saw the image of the concept art happen, like he just gets down from from like he's like sitting there being like right now, 
no! And, like, finally, the, it, like, they, they latch onto him, and he's got just, like, the boot and one leg, like, one arm on. Oh, my God, that was awesome. <laughs> like, they thought, they had gotten to that point with, like, the, like, they knew what they wanted so much that you see, like, that exact shot. It was amazing. Like, I, the, the, that's, the, the more, the, more, that's more of the partial suit, like, people doing awesome things in partial suit. That was awesome. Like, the whole action scene with him just having one glove and one, one boot. Just like kind of flipping around the room and trying to take guys yeah, out him with the versus guys. getting dressed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I think that's I, I think that's great versus him just having this full suit because it shows you that Iron Man is not the hero. Tony Stark is. Yes. he's yeah. doing all this stuff with hardware, and um, you're really seeing that that it's. I mean, it's the the technology makes him powerful, but he makes the technology, and he is the one. He's, he's using he's it as mechanic. an extension of Because sometimes, yeah. like, honestly, like, when I think about it, like, in the first few movies, you can think about it and it's just like, yes, Tony's there for the ride. Like, it feels like he's not even in there sometimes because Jarvis could probably do this just as well as him. And so, to have just the parts of the suit on him, you can see his mind as he's thinking. Like, he, it's, it's like literally buying into the idea that he... You know, he's like, I can aim at this guy and, and shoot at the thing above him. And, like, you can see his mind actually processing these mm -hmm. things as opposed to just being like, like, this is the most Robert Downey Jr. was on set for any movie that <laughs> Iron Man has been in because he doesn't have that full suit yeah. to just yeah. put and, a stunt double. And then there was nothing but, it was nothing but just brilliance from, from a script writing standpoint. Yeah. All up and down. Yeah. And it then, was like yeah. Shane Black really came at this thing and was like, I'm going to, I'm going to rebuild this thing from the ground up. Yeah. And then there was there was also the bit um, in Tennessee the um, the scene where he's got nothing he's got mm -hmm. no suit and he's being chased by extremist goons. Yep. Um, and <laughs> still he's yeah he, and still he's he's using he's just using his wits he's Absolutely. using his intelligence he doesn't have the Iron Man suit and he's still fighting these guys off. Um, I think I think that was I, I think that the the completion of Tony Stark as as a character um, both in what he is capable of doing. And and in his various weaknesses too, um, that seeing that come to life was it, it totally erased uh, everything wrong about the film. In, in my opinion, it it made this uh, an epic Iron Man. I mean, it made an yeah. epic superhero tale, made an epic hero tale of just a, a man using a man being who he is and knowing his strengths, knowing his weaknesses, using them. Uh, Soul noise, soul noise. There, because that's that's all I have to express how I felt about. All right, uh, the story. Um, we're we're at our hour and a half. We are now over our hour and a half. Do we have any final thoughts that need to be said or forever hold your peace? I just have one thing I want to say. Okay. Because I somehow forgot to get this out. <laughs> you were pretty quiet too. So. <laughs> um, no, I just I wanted to say that beyond just Tony having shell shock from the stuff that happened in Avengers, I I. As we all know, I love Captain America, and I love his relationship with Tony Stark. It's, like, one of my favorite things in comic books. Yeah. And the fact that pretty much Tony's entire journey in this movie is based around what Captain America said to him on the helicarrier is yeah. freaking awesome. Yeah. That's Not only is he shell-shocked by getting sucked through a wormhole, he's equally as shell-shocked by being called out. Yeah. For being a dude. That happens to have a suit of armor, and by the end of this, he knows that the dude is the hero. You know what I'm saying? Like he, mm -hmm. yeah. it's not, it's not the armor. Yeah, That's it's why the man who built it. So, I, of all the of all the other heroes, I was hoping Cap would be the one to sneak in this movie. Mm. It would have been, it would have been 
really satisfying. It'll be interesting to see what what they share in Avengers two. I, I think it's gonna be if if I think it's gonna be very cool. So, all right. Um, I had a little more I wanted to say about that, but I think I'll just let it go. Um, I will say there was a Whedon cameo. Did anybody else oh, notice? Missed it. Good, because I didn't realize it either, and I'm probably like him himself. Yes. Oh, okay. He was the dude cowering behind the car during the, where he's he's just kind of like some crazy crab having right, and then Tony oh. goes and jumps through the window. He's like, yeah, check this out, and then he jumps through the window. That guy. That oh, was just seriously? Weed. Okay. So, um, all right. Other than that, letter grade, real quick. I'm I'm gonna give it an A. A. Yeah. It's an A. A. Yeah, it's my favorite. Of F. Time. Sorry, no, it's an A. Yeah. But nobody yeah. A plus, A plus. I got I got A plus. Is, a plus is, does A plus exist? No, no. It does not. No, it doesn't. <laughs> Tim Tim has made it exist. All right, um, so yeah, that's our Iron Man review. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you felt about our kind of new format. Uh, give us any other ideas, segments that you want to hear. We have some other things that we might want to try out in the future. So we're kind of in a mobile phase at the moment, and we can. Hopefully solidify on something something cool and different. But uh, feedback at MidwestFilmNerds.com for any of that stuff. Uh, thanks to my brother at Mr. John on Twitter for our art and music. Uh, you can find our Twitters will be linked to on MidwestFilmNerds.com. Uh, we have our Instagram and Vine accounts as well. Check those out. Um, Kyle XY and go watch a movie. Go Mandarin. We'll